Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. Should be a fun episode today. We're going to start by talking with Rolling Stone's Tomas Mier about several related stories. It all starts with a song called Twinkle Twinkle Little Bitch, in fact, which inspired the entirety of this episode in a way. But Tomas and I are going to talk about the state of viral songs on TikTok, the pressure on artists to make songs go viral on TikTok, and about another subject that Tomas wrote an article about, which is that post-pandemic, it seems some young fans fans may have forgotten how to act at concerts. And after that, Britney Spanos and Rob Sheffield will join me to talk about can we still really name the worst songs of all time here in 2022? But first, here's Tomas Mier. Let's hear one of my favorite pieces of music criticism of the year so far. And this is Lil Nas X on TikTok. And the caption, since you can't see it, is POV. I'm a teenage pop star girl about to blow up on TikTok. Row, row, row your boat. Fuck you for breaking my heart. London Bridge is falling down. Fuck you, boy. Get out of town. And so he's talking really about one specific artist, which was a whole thing on TikTok this year and then led to this other story that you did. And her name is Leah Kate. And you interviewed her and she seems like a very cool person. She has some songs that I think are pretty decent. I think she has a weakness for gimmicks, I think would be fair to say. She has a song called 10 Things I Hate About You, which is kind of a good song. I kind of like that one. I caught you cheating. You had the nerve to say you're sleeping. Just not with her, but tell your friends that I'll... She's a few other ones. The one under discussion, though, is this song called Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Bitch. Twinkle, twinkle, little bitch. Just another narcissist. Hate your guts, you make me sick. And so, man, I do not like this song, Tomas. I, I think that this song has been the bane. One thing that's really funny is I have seen it all over TikTok for months, but never in a positive way. Just people clowning on this song as sort of, it's TikTok users themselves being like, this is TikTok music and I hate it. Because basically it's clever, but it's too clever. I'm not sure I can even articulate the things that I don't like about this song, but it's just, it's just sort of tacky and it's just too try hard and it, just doesn't work for me. But what happened is this the disdain for this song, and look, everyone has bad songs. Even good artists have bad songs. The disdain for this song carried over to something that I do not think is acceptable, which is taking this sort of clowning of the song into real life bullying of Leah Kate at her opening sets for Chase Atlantic, an, an Australian sort of white boy R&B group that I'm not super fond of in their own right. That's a whole other story. Some very enthusiastic cultural appropriators from Australia. I bet you feel it now, baby. Especially since we've early known each other one day why when she opened for her, maybe explain what people were doing, which is a mess. Yeah, well, first of all, I do want to say, in defense of Twinkle Twinkle Little Bitch, it does follow in the footsteps <laughs> of A, B, C, D, E, F, U. Your mom and your sister and your job and it broke your 
which I think is a yes. very similar scenario. So I do not blame Leah Kate for at least trying to tap into that thing that ABCD did with Gail. You're absolutely right. That's a fair point. That was sort of, and I think the problem was people were willing to seem to tolerate or like that one. But then this was one step too far. Someone else did it first. And so actually, technically, I feel like Lil Nas X was probably specifically addressing the Leah one, but it would cover that other thing. Let me break down what's happening with our girl, Leah. She's on tour with Chase Atlantic. She's one of the openers. And during her set, people were pretending to record her set and instead pulling out their phones with the calculator app open or Subway Surfers or Minecraft or literally anything else except the video app recording in order to make the illusion to what they think is her that they're recording her when in reality they're trolling her by playing the game uh, but holding their phones up and so videos of people doing that at chase atlantic shows went viral on twitter overnight just like constant videos of this and it started like the second or third night of the chase atlantic tour and it has carried on throughout every stop of it yeah and that's uncool and i actually think she's better than chase atlantic if they're really chase atlantic fans they don't have a, a lot of legs to stand on here if you ask me i think it speaks well of her that she tried to turn this on its head and kind of take advantage of it a little bit and that's what she talked about with you yeah so so I just had seen all these videos go viral and I like kept an eye on it and then all of a sudden I saw a video where now she's holding up a calculator and has subway surfers playing in the background for visuals. And this would be during the song 10 Things I Hate About You, which I agree is her best song. And it, it was her way of what she said was taking the power back. She's like finally in on this game. And now she's like, all right, who's gonna make a video now? Like this time around, she's in on it. And I think it's her way of reclaiming this narrative that she's a joke and being like, I get it. Like this song is a little bit of a joke and I'm gonna just play into it with y'all. So it's definitely a really interesting thing that she did here. But as you mentioned, it's kind of speaking into this conversation about disrespect on tours and shows. Yeah, Charlie Puth talked about this. I mean, people have linked it. You linked it to Kid Cudi getting stuff thrown at him on stage. I mean, to me, that's that's a specific thing. Unfortunately, it's also tied to Kanye stands thinking that they're acting on behalf of Kanye, which is pretty wild. And But there's been other incidents and just a general feeling that maybe in as people return to concerts in the wake of the pandemic, especially young people who may not have had much experience of concerts, they may have literally forgotten how to behave. Yeah. I think that that's sort of the thought. Yeah, you're right about the Kanye West thing. I think there's the blind devotion element of it. But then there's this also this part about behavior at shows that I think Charlie Puth was talking about in his tweet, just like literally blatant disrespect toward. We started, we saw it last year with Rico Nasty opening for Playboy Cardi, where she literally tweeted, I have to take two hours out of my day to cry because people are being so rude to her on tour. So it, it definitely seems to be a little bit of a trend in as we return to concerts post pandemic. And it, it's an interesting conversation about like does has etiquette at concerts changed i think there were there were some tiktoks earlier this year and it was kind of about people like phoebe bridgers and mitski whose fan base got dramatically younger over the pandemic. What happened is they, they kind of developed this whole separate TikTok fan base and their fans who were in their mid to late 20s were suddenly joined by 16, 17 year old kids who didn't have a good sense of concert etiquette and yeah, were talking during songs they didn't know, talking during opening acts. It was this sort of slightly older fans being like, what's up with these kids? And it may be just something that, you know, by being mildly shamed through these TikToks and everything, maybe they will learn and people will, because uh, I, don't, I don't like the idea of concert etiquette changing where it's suddenly acceptable to talk really loudly during opening acts and stuff so hopefully it'll it'll die down i agree i mean i've been to a few shows where i'm like can y'all shut the hell up like people are talking 
thing and I'm like, I just want to listen to this act. And I think I think people have gotten unused to going to concerts a little bit. And you're talking about kids who are just starting to go to concerts. So this is their first introduction to shows. And it's during a time when we haven't had shows for two and a half years. So I think it is part of that. And I think it needs to, and this Kate situation also shows how people are putting this like want to go viral over respect. Literally that. What's well, their chance to perform for TikTok from the audience instead of watching a performance on stage, which is a little scary. Totally. I mean, the only other thing I would say is that the not to harp on Twinkle Twinkle Little Bitch, which again is truly <laughs> I, I'm sorry, but it is one of the worst songs I've ever heard in my entire life. The top comment on YouTube is something like, I want this played at my funeral so that everyone else will be jealous of me for being in the coffin. So it's, it's, wow. it's, it's not a widely beloved song, let's put it this way. But I think part of the furious reaction to it is an interesting level of newfound suspicion on the part of kids on TikTok. They don't want to be pandered to and they're suspicious of things that are trying too hard to go viral on TikTok. Whereas we've gone past the first phase where things just sort of unselfconsciously go viral on TikTok. Now there's that suspicion of instead of, oh, this is a great TikTok song. Instead, is this that TikTok shit? Like, fuck that. This sort of interesting awareness that I think makes it more challenging for labels and stuff. If That sort of forced viral thing isn't going to work right now. I, I, don't know how I, you I agree. It. And I also think that we're talking about a generation of new artists that are being propelled by TikTok or literally being launched on TikTok by labels. It's not the organic thing that it was, I think, even just two years ago when people were being discovered on the app. Now it's vice versa. And it's not necessarily working every time. I think they're baking on very quick virality that's not going to last very long. And I think it's starting that conversation. I will say Lil Kate has been in the game for quite a few years now. I think she has tapped into this TikTok market or has tried to do so with these songs. Um, I'm also not a huge fan of Twinkle Twinkle Little Bitch. I do love some of her other songs. I will say, Fuck Up This Friendship and 10 Things I Hate About You are genuinely good songs. Let's fuck up the friendship. Come get in my head. Baby, cut the tension. I'm home by but I think it's she's a good example of an artist tapping into something that has been trendy and has been working for other artists and maybe it's not necessarily worked in the same way for her. And she's probably gonna learn from this. She told me that she's grown like 10 years in the past just two months, just the reaction to her music. And I think that there's something to I mean, be learned from that. Well, I mean, on the other hand, here we are talking about this up and coming artist, Leah Kate on the podcast. I do think that Twinkle Twinkle Little Bitch is an example of what happens perhaps artists are being as we saw earlier this year are being pushed to have things go viral on TikTok or labels won't release their singles. So when you're, if that's the demand from their label, I can actually see like, fuck it, I'm gonna write a twinkle twinkle little bitch. One way or another, people are gonna talk about it on TikTok. I think it's all part of the same thing. You know? Totally, I agree. I mean, what you were speaking of, since she went on tour, her videos have gotten 20 million more views. Her TikTok following increased by 12%. Like these are real life numbers that are propelling people to go stream her music. And somebody listening to this podcast is probably going to do the same thing. So whether or not it's to hate listen to the song, she's getting her streams and she's getting her coin. And that's how I think of it. But what you're saying is also true. We saw Halsey speak about how her label wouldn't let her release a song. It's definitely this like new thing, new market that artists who are already established are trying to tap into. And 
frankly, when it does not happen organically, it comes off as try hard. And I, I think we're having that conversation now too. People on TikTok are now very diverse. It's not like a TikTok audience because I think that has expanded exponentially. So I think as time goes on, we're going to change the way we view this as instead of like forming careers, instead just be like another Instagram or Twitter where you simply promote your music. That's right. And I think for people who aren't really on it, they're missing the changes. You know, people want to see the human aspect of an artist or of a person on this app. So I think the best way that I've noticed artists promote their music is literally being themselves and speaking about their process or their artistry instead of forcing this song or a sound to go viral on the app. And I think it's drawing more listeners. Yeah, and I think you're absolutely right. And Tariq Puth is one great example of this. I know that his label Atlantic, like their dream is to have other artists do it as well as he does it, where you're taking people into the creation of the song, you're teasing a song organically by being like, here's how I made the tracks to it. And then you kind of organically want to hear it because you've been privy to the process. Totally. You turn me on like a light switch when you're moving your body around and around. Now I don't want to fight this. But not everyone is, not everyone is good at it is the problem. And not everyone wants to do that. Policy is like, I've been doing this for a while. You're telling me I have to like take it, you know, I have to make TikToks and I make each of my songs, like fuck you. So it's it's tricky. It's definitely tricky. Another Atlantic artist that has done it really well is Jason Derulo. He's literally built a separate career, separate from music on TikTok. And I think that it's made for some artists, but there are other artists that doing this sort of personable thing is just not going to work. So it's definitely an interesting conversation. And I think it's a great platform for people to use to promote their sound. But at the same time, it can we can fall down the rabbit hole of twinkle, twinkle, little bitches. Twinkle, twinkle, little bitch is just, it is, I think in this sort of the montage of 2022, it has earned its, and, and she'll, honestly, she'll probably be encoring with it for like years to come. Let's talk about Rebecca Black Friday. I think it's similar in the way that Friday has popped off, but Rebecca Black has come back years later with honestly really good music. The gays, <laughs> we love her. We love Rebecca Black and she's made it camp. She's made it a part of who she is in this way that like completely revamped her career. And I think it's interesting to see that just because there was this one song that people were like, oh my God, this is so bad. It's built careers for people. And I don't know, like maybe that's going to be the case. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Macy's, Adidas, Walmart, Nike, Wine.com, Samsung, Lenovo, Sephora, and more and even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use, and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the -the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. For Leah. 7 a.m. waking up in the morning. Gotta be fresh, gotta go downstairs. Gotta have my bowl, gotta have cereal. So it made me think about the larger idea of worst songs of all time and whether we can still have such a thing in 2022, the same way that we have trouble deciding what the best song is of all time because everything's so fractured and everything's so up for reevaluation every second, which is one of the best things about our moment. But can we have a worst song of all time? And assuming we can, what are the worst songs of all time in the opinion of Rob Sheffield, who I have with me, and Brittany Spanos, co-host of the Don't Let This Flop podcast, who I also have with me. So Rob and Brittany, can there still be a worst song of all time in 2022? Can there be lists of the worst songs of all time? Yeah. I mean, I think there's I think there's more. I mean, I think when you look at how people define the worst song of all time, it tends to be songs in the same way that you described that kind of root themselves in your brain because you they're kind of inescapable, but also so sickeningly, sweetly catchy that you can't help but like grow annoyed by the fact that this song is constantly stuck in your head and surrounding your life. And I feel like with TikTok, of course, and meme culture generally, we have all these snippets of songs that go so viral so that sometimes you're scrolling TikTok and you're hearing the same 15 seconds of a chorus for 20 videos in a row. And you're like, I liked that song, you know, 10 minutes ago. And now I'd rather stab my ears than ever hear this again. So I feel like there's more candidates now just because what qualifies a worst song of all time I think according to a lot of the big list on it and according to a lot of people it's just a song that's reaching overexposure absolutely bad taste is timeless as the old proverb goes terrible songs are a long and proud pop tradition we need terrible songs it wouldn't be nearly as much fun to be a fan of pop music if there was some kind of quality control that prevented songs like this from happening have the two of you heard Twinkle Twinkle Little Bitch are you familiar with this song it's not a song that I was really getting on my TikTok a lot until the last couple of weeks i started to see videos of people complaining about how much they hated the song before i had even heard the song because the tiktok algorithm is so wacky i've been hearing it for a while i love it olivia frodrigo i just i absolutely love you know the fact that you know what olivia took from paramore is now being passed on to you know twinkle twinkle little bitch i you know that's a beautiful pop tradition so this is the kind of terrible song i'm just wired to like because i have no taste i think also like children's songs to kind of exist in this very specific space of like songs that you hate especially if you're a parent or around kids those are songs that you hear all the time when you grow out of them like you start to like really despise them i was briefly under the impression that the melody for twinkle twinkle little star the basis of course for twinkle twinkle little bitch was composed by mozart but actually he had just done some arrangements on it so unfortunately i can't say that mozart wrote the worst song of all time sadly i would love to be able to say that that <laughs> that, would, that would get people very mad.
his lawyer should definitely get him a rewrite, like a co-write credit. The worst part is if you take Amadeus as gospel, and I certainly do. I think every bit of that movie was 100% what happened. He probably would have loved Twinkle Twinkle, little bitch, actually. <laughs> Somewhere there's a manuscript of him writing the same thing in German, probably. It's a good point. One of the reasons I was concerned that there might not, concerned is a funny way of putting it, but wondering <laughs> that whether we could still have worst songs of all time the same way is, is because of the lack of that kind of insistency and ubiquity because, you know, there's still radio, but it's everyone's, not to repeat a million cliches, but everyone's walled off in their own streaming garden, blah, 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 their own algorithm. But, and TikTok does have its own algorithm, but it also has things that it, it shoves in pretty much everyone's face eventually. And this is a song that I heard probably, you know, 150 times in its abbreviated version. So that does give you that currency of like either I kind of love this or I hate it. And that's exactly what happened. I, I guess one reason that I question all this is because I think the most famous list, there was a list by Blender Magazine. Blender Magazine no longer exists in, I don't know, 2004 or something of the 50 worst songs ever. And one of the things that interests me is how many of those songs are actually great. And maybe we're great at at the time, but definitely great now. One of them, it really interestingly, is number 49 is Right Said Fred's I'm Too Sexy. I'm too sexy for my shirt. Too sexy for my shirt. So sexy it hurts. Now, that is a song that is so important to the current zeitgeist. There is, of course, an interpolation of it on Taylor Swift's Look What You Made Me Do. Then there's a Drake Future song that interpolates it. Yeah. Well, well, well. I'm there's a song, there's a, or interpolates it. There's a new Beyonce song that interpolates it. Nick, that's what you are. Kicking crystal that song is like Robert Johnson now. That song is so core to our cultural history. Another song very high on that list is What's Up by Four Non Blondes. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's now a, a beloved classic. Am I wrong, Brittany? The gift of time is always the best thing that can happen to a song, right? Thinking even just about Call Me Maybe, which I think would have topped a lot of lists the year after it came out where people have been like, oh, Call Me Maybe is like the worst song ever made. But with time, people have regained appreciation of the fact that it's a brilliantly written pop song and just really catchy and just, again, it's like overexposed in that era where people kind of grow to hate it. Every single song that people consider to be the worst song typically in sort of a group think way is a, like a one hit wonder or a really big single of that year, like a song that was featured in a lot of commercials or featured, you know, you couldn't shop anywhere without hearing it. You couldn't be in the car without hearing it. But time always helps. I never had ill will towards What's Up by Four Non Blondes or I'm Too Sexy because those are just fun songs that were on the radio. I enjoyed listening to those songs then and I sure do enjoy listening to them now. Some songs go from people's worst list to actually is pretty good. And I think for me, Ice Ice Baby would be one. I think that I hated Ice Ice Baby. I think I probably liked it when it first came out, then grew to like, oh, this inauthentic white boy ripoff hip hop, it's the worst. And then years later, realizing there's something great about that song. I won't deny it. Are there songs that made that leap for you that on your former worst list and now would be like, okay, that's a great song? I have one big one, yeah. which is that I hated Drops of Jupiter for years. Wow. There were years <laughs> of my life breaking news about my childhood. I thought it was the most ridiculous song. Now that she's back in the atmosphere with Drops of Jupiter in her head 
made no sense to me. Why is he singing about fried chicken and soy lattes like this? I hated it. For some reason, something about that song just was not clicking with me for a while. And at some point, something about that song just really, really came back. And I was like, this is one of my favorite songs of all time, I think. So I don't know what happened. I don't know what clicked. I think it was just distance from it for a little bit. I love, Yeah, I think it's a great song. That one BB Max single too. Another song I really hated. I don't know why I hated them. I remember being so mad they were opening for NSYNC that I covered my ears. I was just like such a like a weird boy band snob, I think. I think they just were not up to snuff with for me. I think it's like called like Back to You or something or Back Here or whatever. Baby set me free from this misery. I can't take it no more. A song that I heard pretty recently and I was like, that's a good song. One of my favorite songs of all time is is a fairly obscure song by an R&B group from the 70s called Every Time I Turn Around Back in Love Again, which is a fantastic song. <laughs> The singer, though, it took me a while to realize the singer is Jeffrey Osborne. And Jeffrey Osborne, I knew him way before because he has this song, On the Wings of Love. On the wings of love, up and above the clouds, the only way to fly. And that was one of the ickiest sort of songs of the 80s, in my opinion. There's just <laughs> something about it that just kind of gave me the skin crawlies. But it's really funny. I was obsessed with LTD and that song every time I turn around. So I was playing it for people because a lot of people hadn't heard it. And well, this was years ago. And I played it for our former colleague, Michael Endelman. And then I played him On the Wings of Love, which he had never heard before. And he's like, that song's awesome, too. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, huh, maybe, maybe. I don't know if I've come fully around on that one. How about you, Rob? What's made that journey for you? It, it drops of Jupiter very much so. It made that for me, it wasn't a gradual thing. It was hearing the Taylor Swift live album where she sang it. Sell me. And I was like, wow, you know, yeah. like putting it in the context of her songwriting. I was like, wow, why did it take me so long to hear how great this song is? Also, my wife is an astrophysicist and every single time we hear that song, which is very often, she's like, you can't make it to the Milky Way. We live in the Milky Way. You could not physically leave the Milky Way if you tried. But that's, that's part of what I love about this. Perhaps there's a wormhole involved. <laughs> it's actually a science fictional song. And it mentions Mozart. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> it's all coming back to me now to, to name another another contestant for very bad song i just have to admit that it's all coming back to me when i touch you like this but also like weirdly is it good or bad i that's the thing i think part of it is is a personal uncertainty i've grown to have where at one time i would have been positive that it's all coming back to me now is an absolutely horrible song and now i'm like wait is it actually really good well crafted dramatic excellent maybe i've just lost all taste i don't know i mean i think that's the thing too is like the song they give you like that sense of like drama and they're really over the top and melodramatic it's just those songs are always people find very cheesy and find very to be like corny and all of that so i think that's the one recurring thing that comes up a lot when people really really hate a song is the melodrama behind it which you know makes some of the cheesiest but also most fun songs in history when i was in like seventh eighth grade i thought that we didn't start the fire by billy joel was a masterpiece you know only 
later did I realize how many people despise that song. Oh, and yeah. See it, and see it as a part of it is this thing, which, you know, it is very funny if you read it that way. It's been like, nothing was actually the boomer's fault. It's a very funny reading of the song. We didn't start the fire. Look at all this stuff that happened. Not us. Like, look elsewhere. <laughs> which, yes, you can very easily read it that way. And it's very funny. It's just a litany of excuses for all stuff that happened to the boomers. But that does walk the line of, is it terrible? I, I recently heard it and still enjoyed it. But I, I recognize why people hate it. It's a, it's a weird, weird thing. We used it a lot in sixth grade. There was an entire lesson plan where we had to memorize We Didn't Start the Fire. No, I don't remember why. I don't remember what the purpose of it was, but we had to memorize the entire song. And I didn't find out until years later that there were other Billy Joel songs. I thought he just existed to sing this historical <laughs> song. Like it took like a while. Like, I didn't put together that Piano Man and We Didn't Start the Fire were the same guy. It's like the it, Veggie Tales like type of thing where it's just a guy who made a history song and we just had to memorize it. And so it was like, oh, this is not, this is not just a random educational song that teachers force their kids to learn. What's your favorite line in We Didn't Start the Fire? The one you scream on cue. It was like the part when he just said, I can't take this anymore because it was like out of the out of nowhere in the middle. But the Cola Wars, like all that's, you know, that entire verse I always really enjoyed. That was like the easiest one, I think, for me to memorize at that time. <laughs> Rock and roller Cola Wars, I can't yeah. take it anymore. Not the children of thalidomide. That was that he could deal with. But once he got to the Rock and Roll Cola Wars, that was it. Like it's That just, was the line. <laughs> someone stop the world. I want to get off. It was too much for Billy Joel. I love that song. I love that song. It's extreme, you know? Some worst songs, like in the case of songs that people hate, are songs that are so extreme that they drive you mm -hmm. over the edge. Some are just, they're so like insultingly bland. And, yeah. you know, an extreme terrible song is always better than a bland one. Rob, we should get to, you have listed some of your picks for the worst songs of all time. And it, it was in a, a brilliant and early takedown of your continued pick for the single worst song of all time. And it is not... Twinkle, twinkle, little bitch. It is Blurred Lines by Robin <laughs> Thicke. And I think part of it is you teased out the really disgusting messages of that song early on as well, which I think weirdly seemed to glaze over a lot of people for a long time until people were like, wait a second, what the fuck is this? Which is, I, I think, the general reaction. But to, And I'd encourage everyone to read that piece, but what what is it about that song for you that makes it your literal pick for the worst song ever made in all of Western civilization? Well, it'd be easy and, and kind of beside the point to, to talk about the lyrics, which are like a whole category, encyclopedia of badness in themselves. But honestly, I hated that song for months before I even noticed it had lyrics, just because the music was just so unctuous. The way it takes, not in a way I consider legally objectionable, but, you know, it takes a very familiar and classic Marvin Gaye riff, and it just kind of slimes it all up. The vocal is just exquisitely slimy. Is that enough, though? I feel like it has to be more. It's got everything you want in a terrible song. It's the complete package. <laughs> it is the Michael Jordan of terrible songs. Every single <laughs> aspect of its game is so strong. You notice the lyrics? They're terrible. You focus on the lead vocal? It's unbelievably bad. I kind of thought that song would be bugging us for years to come, and it just kind of vanished. There are songs that you actually hate on a personal, individual, emotional basis. That's what makes it fun. It's it's not, you know, about the kind of group think that you're talking about, but everybody's got songs. Sometimes you grow to love them over time. Sometimes they're songs you love to hate. Sometimes they're just bad. And every time you hear them, you cannot believe that they were submitted to a record company as finished work. It's a personal thing. And that's part of what makes the argument fun is, is that it's just deeply personal. Except for Blurred Lines, which is objectively the worst song ever. Winner and still undisputed champion of the world, 
And it's funny that, you know, a few years later, the, the crown has never been safer. Such a such a nagging, grating little song. Yeah. Such a whiny little chorus. He really does sound like he's singing to a puppy. And, and <laughs> I love how much I hate that song is the thing. It really like, it really like absolutely bugs me in a way that I have to respect. <laughs> I don't think I've listened to the full version of that song since maybe 2014. <laughs> I've had to hear it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny because like at the time, might have guessed that it would be one that would, you know, you'd keep hearing it like weddings and parties and bar mitzvahs and stuff yeah and now it just it just kind of dropped out it's not a matter of convincing other people to agree with you it's just your personal hatred for the song becomes part of your story as a pop fan yeah you've got to have some songs like that what's interesting is there's stuff like you know chris cornell made an entire album with timbaland don't talk because that album is good yeah, i think all three of us love this I'm, album we are so the target audience don't talk bad about it that album it, it, is so good it has a couple songs i think in could be that are truly horrible but they don't but the thing is they weren't hits they weren't everywhere and they don't have I think they have some aspects that you may or not may not love the album but, but some aspects of that sweatiness and incongruousness but I think it's just ill-fated things like that don't somehow never rise to the level of, of too ahead of its time much like Chris Gaines album like it was both too ahead of their times like people just weren't ready for those conversations at all and I think you know I think we're, we're due for critical re-examination of the Chris Cornell Timbaland album absolutely one thing brilliant point some some songs are just you know emissaries from a future world and the world has to evolve to <laughs> yeah. can appreciate them he was taking a huge risk with that album that was a i thought it was really fun i let like that lead single i thought was excellent And I was like, how is this not the biggest hit in the world? It blew my mind. No one else thought that. Wow. <laughs> you and you and Jimmy Iovine thought that, yes. But you got to rock is dead. You got to get get Timbaland. It's like literally Rivers Cuomo then wrote a song about that. Speaking of speaking of a band that has made a lot of candidates for the worst song of all time, but nothing ever really rises to that level. Weezer is a band that's tried many times to make the worst song of all time and has never gotten there, despite their, their best efforts. Yeah. I did really hate Beverly Hills. Exactly. That is one that some people name Blue yeah. Hills. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was yeah. a song. I think there was a because I like there were so many other better songs on that album, and I think I just got so sick of hearing that because that song was just like skipping like aggressively, and it was so hard to avoid. Like Perfect Situation on the album is so good. Like that that album I really enjoy, but for some reason Beverly, it was the same thing with Drops of Jupiter. Like I couldn't really pinpoint why I hated this song so much when it was at its top, but for some reason something about it was just not clicking with me, and it took a lot of time to get there. Weezer wanted us to hate them so bad that they put the guy from lost they made an album called hurley and put the put hurley on the cover for no reason at all just to be annoying but it's, it's part of their beauty yeah i, I think you're 100 right date that they they make a habit because they're great pop fans because river is such a pop fan he knows that we love bad songs we need them and he sets out to write terrible ones but sometimes he sets out to write terrible ones on purpose and they end up great like perfect yeah. example is his little wayne collaboration which i just i loved that song for years before yeah. i knew anybody hated it and i was like oh you do not mention just can't stop party and around a Weezer fan unless you want a really <laughs> tedious argument. Rob, you hate the 2001 remake of Lady Marmalade, which it never occurred to me to hate, but you despise that. Or 
or, I or did, did a few years ago. Then Britney's uh, karaoke version was the lightning bolt that hit me on my road to Damascus, <laughs> where I turned from Saul into Paul, and I was completely converted to that song. Every millennial woman knows exactly which which singer or rapper she is in Lady Marmalade. This is something we have all considered for. 21 years and counting is who we are. I am the Lil' Kim verse because it's the best one, but it's a it's a perfect, it's a perfect song. Well, mostly like they took this amazing super funk New Orleans production and they took out the cowbell. And I was like, why would you do a remake of Lady Marmalade where you take out the cowbell, which is, you know, 90% of the hook. Wild World by Cat Stevens. Another song I've like given no thought to. I barely, I mean, like I know the song. I just don't have any feelings about it whatsoever. Rob, at least as of, of a few years ago, you despised that song. <laughs> It gets gets worse over time. That's one. Sometimes there are songs that are hits and, you know, you hate them for a while, but then they disappear and, you know, and they're just not part of your life anymore. Whereas Wild, Wild World, it's still around. You, you still hear it, you know, anytime you go into a, a pharmacy or, or a taxi or that's just yeah. a song that's around. And it, it's acclaimed as a classic. You know, Cat Stevens has certainly informed admirers, which I totally respect. I wouldn't try to change anyone's mind about Wild World, but my God, what a terrible song. He spends the entire time nagging his girlfriend for how childish and immature she is. The way he hums along with the piano solo, that's the part that really nails me. You can have a humming solo or a piano solo, but if you hum the piano solo, that's just egregious. One, one thing that sticks in my mind is something I always hated. There was this stained song called Outside. I'm on the outside. I'm looking at but it's not even the real version. There was a version, a live version that for some reason they showed on MTV and I was working at MTV. So it was, you know, MTV was on everywhere in Orwellian fashion. Fred Durst was duetting purportedly with Aaron Lewis of Stained on, on Outside. And Fred Durst never harmonizes or anything. He just kind of sometimes sings in unison, sometimes just kind of sways. And he just, I just something that got under my skin way more than it should have was the moment in that live version when Fred Durst says, I'm feeling those lighters. And for some reason, it gives me deuce chills even now. Just to think about it. I don't know why. Maybe it wouldn't bother me now, but it bothered me so much then in words like in ways I can't even express. And of course, again, it is a really catchy song that you can still sing. I can't sing any of those Chris Cornell, Timbaland songs. You two probably can. But going closer to the present, uh, you have something like Lil Pump. There's something about Lil Pump as, as perpetrator of worst. Is There's that song with Kanye West. I'm a sick fuck. I like a quick fuck. I'm a sick fuck. I like a quick fuck. I'm a sick fuck. I like a quick fuck. I like my dick suck. I buy you a... I really liked that song. Well, that's what I was going to say. That song, I truly thought was it's one so of... so stupid. What, yes, like, yeah. I, it's so stupid. I thought it was one of the lowest points of Kanye's career. But then as a TikTok excerpt, it's so catchy. It yeah. Picks a, so again, this is where we enter this net world of, is it great? Is it horrible? I, I just don't know anymore. I feel like songs that feel like a mini lobotomy sometimes. I feel like that's kind of nice. You know? Like, you just kind of put it on and be like, cool. I guess we're just here. Like, I could just keep this on for the next hour. And I don't have to think about it. What about something like My Humps? If I ask my brain what are the worst songs of all time, it certainly spits My Humps as a candidate. What you gonna do with all that junk? All that junk inside your trunk. I'ma get, 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 get you drunk. Get you love drunk off my hump. My hump. I love both the original and the Alanis Morissette cover. <laughs> See? <laughs> the thing is, I, yeah, 
I probably have like the worst taste in everything. I like a lot of things. But I love I love my homes. I love the Black Eyed Peas. I think they're a group that I hope again sort of have like a, a critical reappraisal over the year. And I feel like they kind of have already. Like I feel like people have grown to appreciate a little bit more of, of some of their stuff. But they just made songs that were really fun and ridiculous. Like Ella Funk is a great album. I listen to it often. It was very strange. Rolling Stone institutionally was very pro Black Black Eyed Peas. We put them on the cover of the Future of Rock. <laughs> We were really obsessed with the idea of things being the future of rock that had nothing to do with the future and or rock, but we that's our favorite thing. Where do you fall on the My Humps continuum, Rob? My Humps, it's weird. My relationship with My Humps at the time was I was bracing myself because I thought this song was going to stick around and torture me for years to come. It's really weird how it just kind of vanished. Like we all sort of had a, you know, okay, this was an experiment. It failed. We're going to turn the page. Like we just retconned My Humps out of the narrative of pop music, which is kind of like a weird and beautiful thing. I feel like it's also because they, that wasn't their one hit sort of helped. Like they had even like Boom Boom Pow was a bad song. I'll say that one was bad, but like, you know, I got a feeling that they had so, so many songs that became so much bigger. And even Fergie herself had songs immediately after that became even bigger than My Humps was at the time. So I feel like that kind of helps in the the passing of, of My Humps in, in historical lexicon. But I think like, you know, Fergalicious ended up kind of trumping that as it should. And the later Black Eyed Peas songs also sort of erased it from history just because they were slightly better in some cases and also even bigger. Oof, here, here's a bad one. That song Fight Song by Rachel Platt is pretty terrible. That is a bad song. Can you hear my voice this time? This is my fight song. Take back my life song. But it doesn't, I don't think it rises to the level of like worst song. Even even Megan Trainor's All About That Bass doesn't really rise. It starts to get there, but I don't think it rises to that level. Because you know I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass. No, I don't think so either. For me, at least. I think they all kind of are inoffensive at best. I think it, part of this, honestly, is what we're getting at is that in the post-poptimism moment, I feel that it's, and it's sort of like we're already in like post-post-post-poptimism, but you know, in the idea of, of re-embracing the popular and anti-music snobbery, it becomes harder to, when everything's being reassessed, it does become harder. That said, Shape of You by Ed Sheeran sucks. It just sucks. Girl, you know I want your love. Your love was handmade for somebody like me. Come on now, follow my that's that's a bad Once again, song. I have to respectfully disagree. <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. His ballads are awful. I love his I don't ballads. Like his, I'm not I'm not a bit like perfect is not a song. I don't like a lot of his ballads when he sings them. I think like he writes really good ballads for other people. But I love I love his his just weird pseudo rapping. Shape of You's great. I love that. And then again, I'm willing to be like, well, maybe it is, but I don't think so. But it's also not. Again, it just doesn't rise to the level. And I and I also wonder if it's because of the lack of being hammered with things as much also keeps because things can't be just bad you also have to hear them billion times yeah. enough to decide that they are torturing you the song that came to mind immediately was accidental racist i'm just a white man coming to you from the southland which was like just like also a really yes. tone-deaf song and like stuff like that. Like I think it's just like those are the ones that when I think of like, you know, truly, truly terrible and truly have not aged well are tend to be where I kind of stick my head because most things I can, if I listen to them a certain amount, I will enjoy them. And if I listen to them too many times, then it's going to be like, please turn this off. The, but the problem with the accidental racist, and I really enjoyed hating that when it first came out. It was just such a juicy target of hatred. It was a fun hate thing. It was a yeah. fun hate thing. The problem is like, I don't remember how it goes. I bet you don't either. No. I can't sing it. So, that, so the problem 
problem is it's more a conceptual hate yes. than a sort of so that doesn't that doesn't rise to it very like, different weird, than like blurred lines thing. hate like, yeah you could give me 25 minutes i couldn't hum you how, how that song goes so it's just it didn't succeed in it, it needs to be catch weirdly it has to be better to be worst yeah you know like it's it's not good enough to be bad is the is the problem it's, it's, it has to re- reach a certain level of trolls like geisty moment yeah or also craft like weirdly it needs enough craft to be catchy yeah you can hate it some songs are by artists who don't have other hits and some are by artists you love and there's a special kind of affection for the terrible songs by the artists you love you know you talked about weezer before that's a different kind of thing whereas if you overall hate everything the artist does you know then it's a thing where like the distinctions are extremely marginal you can't work up the the fire to hate it like i mentioned cat stevens you know i pretty much hate all cat stevens songs so you know that one is the worst because it's the one i hear the most but you know think of bob dylan who's maybe my favorite artist ever and you know when bob dylan decides to write a terrible song he does not go halfway that's something i love about him he wrote Joey, which is his 14-minute hit about a mobster from the 70s, which has some of the most mind-blowingly terrible lyrics, which he didn't write himself, but he sings them. He could see it coming through the door as he lifted up his floor. Suddenly they shot him down at a clam bar in New York. He saw them coming through the door as he was lifting up his fork. And the fact that like Bob Dylan can put his name on that, I just love that. So it's better than, you know, for instance, I like that song a lot better than any Cat Stevens song. But the fact that it's Bob Dylan, someone I love so much working at this level that takes on a sort of grandeur in terms of its atrocity. With Bob, I think some people might pick Wiggle Wiggle, which I actually love and have a whole theory about how it's actually about the devil or All the Tired Horses, which I actually also love. It's tough. You can, you, but you can't really make a case for something like Joey and there's other stuff that's but I mean as far as classic rock staples I mean one thing I noticed one thing I noted was that I realized how bad that that Doors version of Alabama song the Kurt Vile song it, it, got it, was, it you love it gotta disagree oh, you got <laughs> shocking, too, shocking. <laughs> gotta disagree once more I used to we're like not it. in the I same work song way when in my head I tweeted about this it sounded like what would have happened what rock and roll would have sounded like if the Germans won World War II it gave me the creeps I hated it well, show me the way to the next whiskey bar oh don't ask why but you know i guess apparently a hot take i don't care i karaoke that with my mother-in-law just last weekend it's a banger (laughs) everybody can sing it's a it's a drinking song it's a pub song that's funny the ridiculousness and the ridiculousness in the melodrama are so key that there's a like really you know it's like we were talking about songs that are extreme you know like they're they're bad in an intense way that that is you know memorable and and wonderful for me the doors pick is touch me where she decided to do (laughs) oh true very bad very bad you're right smooth lounge song i'm like oh my god so <laughs> many terrible decisions went into every minute of that song. Come on, come on, come on, come on, now touch me, babe. Can't you see that I am not afraid? I, I can feel it in my head. What was that love promise the sense of, that you yes. made? Horrible, yes. Why won't you tell me what she said? <laughs> Is that what he says? Yes. What was that promise that made? Why won't you tell me what she said? Unbelievable. I want to love you. Yes. I just love that. There's something about something you want in a in a worst song is a lot of work to go into it. You know, like yes, if it's a half-assed, yes, if yes. it's a half-assed terrible song, then fine. Anybody can write a half-assed terrible. But yeah. to write like one of these really like complex, so much work went into making it as bad as it is kind of songs. Those are the 
ones that you know we remember and respect over time. Like a easy, easy pick. Sorry to be shooting fish in a barrel, but because it's been like a number one hit twice, MacArthur Park, which is not a, a bland song that's terrible because it fades into the background and it's boring and it takes up time. It's a yeah. song that almost literally every time I've heard it, I've thought, how the hell did somebody walk into a studio with this song and get to the end of the song and think, okay, that's a day's work. We're going to release this to the worldwide population. I know why the cake was left out in the rain. We don't really get an answer on it. Yes, we'll, we'll never know the recipe again. <laughs> Unbelievable. All that icing. That's a song that, you know, heard it as a little kid and thought, okay, this is poetry and I'll understand it as I grow older. And eventually I, I reached the point of adulthood where I was like, you know, I'm never going to get mature enough to understand why there's sweet green icing flowing down and, and someone left the cake out in the rain. That cake is just gone. I've just given up on that. I'm not trying to get that recipe back anymore. There's something beautiful about songs that are so monumental and, you know, and that Donna Summer, for some reason, at the absolute peak of her chart-dominating brilliance, decided to yeah. pick this song of all 60s oldies to take to number one. Just kind of a mind-blowing decision. You know, a lot of work on the writing level, on the performance level, on the production level, went into every version of MacArthur Park. Respect. That's the kind of <laughs> terrible song I love. I used to have a lot of, when I was a teenager listening to a lot of classic rock radio, I used to have a lot of ire for things like Carry On My Wayward Son by Kansas. Carry on my Come Sail Away by Sticks. But I can't really work up any hostility for those songs anymore because I don't hear them anymore. They don't really care, so they don't really rise to it. Yeah. Come Sail Away is pretty horrible. It's, it's the insistence of the chorus, but I... You know, words, I don't think it's really quite a candidate. As our old friend from the Rolling, her Rolling Stone days, Alexis Satil, used to call this rock home syndrome, where you're taken <laughs> hostage by a classic rock song for years and years until you bre finally break down and find yourself sincerely liking it. That's definitely <laughs> what happened with Come Sail Away for me. I reached yeah. the point of hating it quite sincerely to liking it in a semi-ironic way. Full blast air guitar, you know, I'll try, oh Lord, I'll try to carry on. That's that's the kind of journey. Rock home syndrome is the perfect example for for that. I'm no longer Patty Hearst. I am now Tanya. This is sort of like it's someone you hate from school, but it's been 25 years and you see them and they're actually just sort of glad to see a familiar face. So maybe it's totally. Like, it's, totally. <laughs> I think most songs I can find the genuine good parts of them. Why people like them or I like them at any point in my life. It's weird because Train has another one that falls on that axis. Hey Soul Sister is that. I gotta say I love that song. Yeah, I, I, I think yeah. I like it. I think I Train's like it. Train's a lot I, of good songs. Yeah. yeah, I can't deny them that. Like they have a lot of good songs. People just, again, it's ahead of their time. Like people aren't Maybe Train, maybe what we've come away is that Train <laughs> is the greatest band of all time. I think that's yep. one of our lessons here. A song that I'm really surprised that it's a song that you still hear sometimes. Seasons in the Sun, which was a big number one hit in the 70s. We had joy, we had fun, we had seasons in the sun. But the hills that we climbed were just seasons out. Yeah. Guy in his deathbed and the stars on the reach were just starfish on the beach. It's like, dude, this this is your dead deathbed monologue. This is what you got, you know, like bad poetry about starfish. You've got a finite amount of time, dude. Tell your loved ones you love them. Don't like the time for bad poetry about aquatic, cutely shaped sea creatures is definitely, definitely gone. I have a fondness for that song because there's a, a Kurt Cobain cover of it on With the Lights Out box set. Yeah. 
And so I used to listen to that box set a lot. And I always had a fondness for his version. But the original is, is not as good as Wayne singing it. Definitely true. <laughs> yes. And also like something, I mean, something about terrible songs that we haven't like gotten into this topic, but key changes, like that's definitely the, you know, okay, one key change to a terrible song here. Seasons in the Sun, it has all these ending, each one is a key change. <laughs> so it's the anti-love on top. We're, we're love on top. <laughs> Every it's, way. Because if you're going to go for it, you're either get one of the top 10 songs by one of the greatest artists ever, or you get MacArthur Park. It's like going for it. I think that's the thing, like the going for it is often one of the things that, that yields. And that's, and that's what yeah. why artists are scared because you know that if you go for it, you're either, you might be Ed Wood. You don't know really, are you Orson Welles or are you Ed Wood? And, and you might be both in, in any, depending on the moment, you know. The going for it doesn't, because I mean like the Donna Summer version of MacArthur Park is like, she sounds so good on it that you're kind of, it takes you a second to realize that the song itself is insane. Like you're just like, I think it took me too long of a time to realize that that song was legitimately bad in terms of songwriting and just what was going on in it. But she sounds incredible. The original, if I heard that in public, I'd be like, what's going on? Yeah, it's, it's all about the delivery. All about it's wild because MacArthur Park I mean this was the period where Donna Summer was you know she could have done literally anything and it would have been a number one hit and I was like wow what a fascinating choice what a, a you know astounding decision <laughs> as a use of her time that she's going to take this song and make a number one hit out of it it's like yeah. it's, it's kind of amazing that you know she's recording you know bad girls at the time and dim all the lights and you know love to love you baby all these classics but she's like yep I'm also going to do the cake in the rain song and you know, <laughs> I love that again like terrible songs we remember they're the they're the the great ones oh yeah can i just mention the eagles is that too like is that too easy target to just mention the eagles the, the eagles are a band that i disliked when i was a kid and i'm always amazed that they still have that dislike power for me that i've never gotten to that rock home syndrome phase with the eagles and you know i love the eagles when they do the country songs you know peaceful easy feeling like yeah. love when they do the pop songs like you know new kid in town but uh one of these nights when in a Astounding song that is in terms of, you know, again, terrible decisions per minute. Like that's not the kind of bad song that happens accidentally. One of these nights is a song that you have to force it up that hill to make it as terrible as it is. That when he starts singing in the falsetto in the end, like those crazy, crazy, crazy nights, like and it just goes on forever. And they're just like, let's really, really, really <laughs> nail this to the floor. It's just really kind of an astounding artistic achievement that I respect. I will okay. say, I know a lot of people who really, really hate Hotel California. That's a song that's come up frequently yeah. with friends of mine who hate that song. I have no strong feelings about the Eagles in most directions. One of the weird things on TikTok is young guitar players learning that guitar solo and playing it is a big really? thing. That it's, you wouldn't believe it, like 16 year olds nailing that. And one thing that, that TikTok loves to do is if you're, for example, a guitar player like me they love to show you a 16 year old who's learned a solo just to make you feel bad about your, yourself and so and not only that they, they love to play the sultans of swing solo you I, I don't know how this happens but i've seen so many teenagers or you know early 20 somethings nail because these are like hard solos that you can show off with yeah you just never ever know i think hotel california is probably a good song probably a really good song actually i I'm, love that song and i totally get why it would be somebody's least favorite song of all time it has the word that britney was using before of ridiculousness like that song it's not half fast that song really really goes all the way into the heart of darkness it yeah. goes into. And I I love that song. And my friend Stephanie once told me, you know, that's Hotel California is my least favorite song. And it's probably the song I've heard most often in my life, which is. A, <laughs> I, and I think I think those things are very closely correlated. Let's yeah. Face it. yeah. Well, <laughs> anyway, if you want to hear a really terrible, awesomely terrible Vanilla Ice song, go to the third single from that album. I love you, which is his slow jam. You're so fun. Let's want it done. I'm so happy. 
it's his version of LL that I need love, right? It's his kind of take version on is a very like kind yeah. way to put it. For the first time in my life, I see I need love. There I was giggling about the games that I had played with many hearts, and I'm not saying no names. LL didn't sue because he wanted nothing to do with it. He just wanted to <laughs> not be included in this narrative. That song is so astoundingly great. It, you know, Ice is whispering about how much this lady <laughs> means to him, and of course, it's just, I love you, and it's beautiful. In terms of, you know, Ice Ice Baby is just a flat out great song. I Love You is the kind of song that's terrible in a great way. There's been a huge shift in how people talk about Smooth by Santana and Rob Thomas. It's a great song. Santana's Supernatural Era had a, a real hold on me. Smooth <laughs> is a song I started out hating and yeah. very quickly came to love. And I, you know, and I, when I came to love it, I missed hating it because it was really fun to hate when I hated it. I, yeah. you know, I love it too much. I love it more every year. It's a great song. And I Rob mean, that Tom- guitar solo is excellent. Rob Thomas is just really killing it on the vocals. And sometimes, man, it is a hot one. I would say <laughs> most of the summer has been a hot one. It's never been truer. It's the climate change anthem that we always needed. That and All Star predicted a lot of what was going on. <laughs> they knew something Rob Thomas and the guys in Smash Mouth really knew something we weren't ready to accept. <laughs> Still married yeah. to the woman he wrote that song about. Absolute Touching. respect. 90s yeah. love. Love to see it. Love to see it. And I think all this just affirms what we started talking about. It's just, I think it's, I think it is harder to nail down worse songs because so many things come around to be reappreciated and we've changed all of our criteria and there's no such thing as a guilty pleasure anymore and everywhere and yet there will always be twinkle twinkle little bitches which i look forward to reevaluating in a couple years and saying that's my favorite song of all time (laughs) so don't worry leah kate it's twinkle twinkle little bitch time just another narcissist great rhyme anyway wait that doesn't even rhyme admittedly it doesn't really (laughs) rhyme a lot of a lot of iffy rhymes in that song you gotta take the stretches where you can anyway rob and Brittany, (laughs) thank you so much for joining me thank you thank you so much and that's our show rolling stone music now will be back next week Download us wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us five stars if you can on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. That's always really appreciated. But as always, thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.